you know, we overreact. So when, and we all, if you're honest with yourself, we'll pay attention. You'll know when you're overreacting, but sometimes we double down. We're like, I am fully overreacting. (laughs) I'm going all in. Hey guys, it's me, Nancy Jane Smith. Welcome back to The Happier Approach, the show that pulls back the curtain on the need to succeed, hustle, and achieve at the price of our inner peace and relationships. In our last episode, the first episode of our new season, woohoo! I told the story of how The Happier Approach came to be, where it all started. And if you're a first-time listener or you missed the episode and you're curious, check it out. But today, we're going to get very close and personal with the little, ah, well, little's not quite right. How about ginormous, nagging voice in the back of my head that tells me I'm not good enough all day long. I call that voice my monger. It's as if (laughs) you're in a pool and there's lifeguards all around you watching you and they're going to blow the whistle at you as soon as you do something wrong. But there's no lifeguards and no one's watching you. (laughs) (laughs) That is how it feels for sure. (laughs) That's how my husband Doug describes my monger. And that is totally accurate. I call her a monger because she spreads propaganda. She's like a horrible schoolmarm, wrapping my knuckles with a ruler whenever I make a mistake. My monger points out my insecurities and judges everything I'm doing wrong. My monger is pretty much at the root of why I started The Happier Approach. Whenever one of the other characters comes into my head, like the BFF or the biggest fan, they're always coming in to rescue me from that snarly, screechy monger voice. And I mentioned this in our last episode, but I have a particularly loud monger. She pops up at the most annoying times and seizes on the littlest things, the things I should be taking joy in, like making cornbread. So the other night I made chili and we had cornbread with the chili and I always make the cornbread into into muffins and so it was they were in the muffin tins and no matter how much I grease the muffin tins the cornbread comes out all crumbly and to be clear my husband nor I care about crumbly cornbread in fact we even tend to crumble up the cornbread and put it in the chili so it really does not matter in the scheme of things that the cornbread is not whole but it is something that my monger goes crazy about yep my monger goes crazy when I make cornbread it seems silly but it is totally true And so as I was trying to take the knife and pull the cornbread out of the muffin tins, my monger was just going crazy with this is wrong. And I I noticed my anxiety getting higher and higher and higher. And I kept saying to myself, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We don't even use, you know, we crumble the cornbread up. This really doesn't matter. But that didn't help. Like it didn't matter that I was trying to rationalize with my monger. This is one of the hardest lessons for me to learn about my monger. When I try to dissect her or get rid of her by rationalizing, it doesn't matter. She just comes back into my head stronger than ever to tell me again how I'm doing it wrong. So in terms of this cornbread, quote unquote, disaster, it doesn't matter that my husband and I don't even care what the cornbread looks like. This is the actual problem. It is that I can't get them to be that shape. That perfect pillowy muffin shape for those of you keeping track at home. And so therefore, I'm doing it wrong. And that was the message of this is, my monger's message is usually around you're doing it wrong. Like that's a common theme for me. 
So the fact that here, it had nothing to do with the fact that practically we don't care about what the cornbread looks like. It had to do with the fact that it should look a certain way and I should be able to make it look perfect and that I couldn't do that, no matter how much I greased the tin or how well I did it, was a sign that I was a major loser. Wow, a major loser because the shape of my corn muffins are a little wonky. Even I can see that's harsh. That leaves me circling around this question that I've actually wondered about a lot. Why is my monger so loud about the littlest things? Am I alone here? Doomed to obsess over cornbread for eternity? Or do other people, people who really seem to have it together, have loud mongers too? Let me turn on my camera here. Okay, my cat is crawling around. Um, I see. So that will be, this is Gus. Okay, so let's just go, go. Here we go. So This is Katie Morton. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist and a super popular YouTube creator. My name is Katie Morton, and I'm a licensed therapist. Today is coffee and a chat. So I have three questions today as well as a journal topic, so stay tuned for that. And without further ado, um, here we go. Uh, to be honest, this is going to sound kind of funny, but I always get bored at work. <laughs> and I used to have had a bunch of different jobs. I've been a waitress, a salesperson, a HR rep. I've done all sorts of things. And um, over the years, every job I took, I was always kind of bored of it. And therapy just never gets boring. People are fascinating. And it's, it's a real privilege to get to be on the path with someone as they work to better themselves. On her YouTube channel, Katie covers all kinds of topics around mental health. What I do on YouTube is just help to educate and empower people, help them understand something maybe they can't understand or decode what therapists say, why we say what we <laughs> say a certain way, or help them better understand a diagnosis, treatment, all that stuff. Katie's been making videos on YouTube for almost 10 years now. Like, I came of age in college when Facebook first started. <laughs> so <laughs> I had MySpace, so get on my level. <laughs> Even though she knew her videos would make mental health more approachable to a bunch of people, the task of bringing therapy concepts to YouTube seemed a little out of her comfort zone. I was like, absolutely not. That is weird. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have no, I don't want to be on camera. That's super uncomfortable. What do I do with my hands? I don't even know. What if people don't like me? But the more she thought about it, and the more her then boyfriend, now husband, nudged her towards the idea, she warmed up to it. Yeah, about six months later, I was like, okay, I'll do it, but I'll only film one video a week, and that's how it was born. From there, Katie built up an audience of over 1 million subscribers. I know! But even with so much success on her YouTube channel, even she struggled with that nagging voice of self-doubt sometimes. Do you have a, a loud inner critic voice, personally? Yes. Um, I, I talk pretty candidly or I try to within reason about my own therapeutic work because I've been in and out of therapy since I was 15, which I think is a very important component of being a mental health professional. It's like, not only do I need to know what it's like on the other side, but I also need to know how hard it is to do that internal work. I know how hard that is because I've done it. So I definitely am the type A perfectionist type of person. I never feel like I'm doing enough right? Or it's not good enough. And that's a really hard thing to, to do when you're creating, first of all, for me, we're creating a video a week. Speaking from personal experience, my monger can be pretty loud when I'm working on creative projects. It was the same way for Katie. 
Who am I to do this? I don't even know what I'm talking about. People aren't going to listen. This is stupid. You know, it's kind of that talking down. But the thing that I've realized in the work that I'm trying to do personally is to say to myself in the nicest way possible, shut up. Stop it. (laughs) You're only being a jerk to yourself and this helps no one and it only makes you feel bad. And so it's, it's hard and I sometimes get caught in it, but I've gotten better at recognizing when it's happening. So anyways, yeah, I definitely have my own inner critic and I battle her every day and she's very stubborn and she is the worst. (laughs) Once I started embracing that in my own therapy practice of being like, I don't know. I mean, I'm just doing the best I can with what I have. And I'm not this person on a hill that has it all figured out. Yep. Um, but I start, so I call that inner critic voice a monger because mm-hmm. monger spread propaganda. And that is what the monger is doing. Um, and so the reason I got into this work personally is because I believed, I realized, I believed I needed that voice to get anything done. Like I oh. needed the shame Motivation. to motivate me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, first of all, I love monger, the the spreading propaganda, because I t- always tell myself and my audience, another thought is not a fact. Mm-hmm. Yes. So don't think your thoughts are facts. And then if you're looking for evidence, another thought doesn't is not evidence. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of the no pain, no gain societal norm that we have all subscribed to for better for worse because we think that in order to be successful or to be valued we think we have to suffer for it but i realized you know i have a very loud inner critic you know I, my husband calls her the demon within and <laughs> and i realized yes i think everyone has an inner critic but not everyone has that demon voice why do you think people have louder voices than others I think it's uh, there's a lot of different facets and a lot of different reasons. I think part of it is um, the way we were raised. Mm-hmm. And I know people are like, therapists always blame childhood. Well, that's because <laughs> a lot of shit happens in childhood. Amen to that. <laughs> and I think that we learn from our our parents and our caregivers and our family about that. Like, I'll even be honest. I can remember times when my mom kind of like talking herself down about things like, And I used to love how much faith she'd have in me. Like we were just talking the other day about how I won this coloring contest. And I love to color as a kid, but I'm not a drawer. My brother's the artistic drawer one and I can fill it in. And part of this coloring contest was, oh, you had to draw something and you had to color it in. And I told her, why don't draw? And she's like, well, yeah, you can. Just make a scribble and then make sense of it. You know, add something to it, make sense of it. You can do that. And she was always that way. You can do that. Yeah, just do it. But with herself, she wasn't. And so it's kind of like this mixed message around like, I can't, so you have to. So I internalize that as like, oh, I have to be the one that rises above like the hero child, like does everything perfectly and all of that. And I think that for a lot of us, we have different stories. Either our parents told us things weren't good or teachers or we were bullied or things like that. And we internalize that. I think that this inner critic, this monger, this this shit talker <laughs> looks through all those lenses constantly. And therapy is like, no, 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 let's take those lenses away. They're not doing it. You can't even see anymore. And it's really hard to do that then because we feel so scared. Like personally, when I do something that's against my inner critic, I think you're just going to regret this. It's going to be terrible. It's going to blow up in your face. Yes. How do we fix it? What are some strategies you have for overcoming this or quieting this loud inner critic voice. 
that's the crazy, wonderful, beautiful thing about therapy is therapy is almost like an art because there's so many different ways in. It's like we have a door with like 17 locks on it. And if you open one of them, they all open. And so there's all these different ways in. And for me personally, I can visualize all those locks and being like, I have all these different keys and one key might be easier for you to find. So don't think that this is just the only way in. But for me, I always thought that I needed to, to shut her up, that she was abusive, she was terrible. I hated that part of myself, which just spun into like a snowball of more shame and, uh, and guilt and shit talking. But the thing that I've realized, my inner critic is actually scared me. She's a younger me. She's a little, she's worried about future me. She's trying to protect me. It actually comes out of a, a love and a, a need for protection that she tries to keep me down to help me fit where I already have fit, not knowing that I could outgrow that and want to move into something else. And I think when I start to view that in that lens, through that lens, I can see her just throwing a tantrum. And what do we do when a child is tantruming? Sure, we can reprimand them. And that's what I've been doing for years. I've been reprimanding her. How dare you? You've embarrassed me. Stop it. But what we know is actually more effective. Anybody who has had children, if you can help them to speak, to share in some way, what they're going through. We're looking at like a branch on the tree that has grown from that and I need to track it back because chances are, at least for in my experience and for, for my inner critic or inner monger, she is just worried and she's stressed about letting people down and hurting herself. And so if I can acknowledge that, then that's the start of the work, right? Because then I can say, well, how can I assuage her fears about this? How can I calm her? Heck, Yes, acknowledging the feelings that my monger is pointing to, even if they seem irrational, that's been a game changer for me when it comes to communicating with her. Like Katie said, usually my monger is just scared that I'm not going to be okay, and I have to remind her that she, we, are safe, even if we're not perfect all the time. Let's return to the great cornbread disaster of 2021, shall we? After I had my initial freakout about the shape of my cornbread muffins not turning out perfectly, even though they were just going to be all crumbled up into a big bowl of chili, I took some time to think, to tap into what my monger was really upset about. And then finally, I had the aha of, oh, it isn't, it isn't about, what I'm upset about is the fact that I can't do it perfectly. That, that they aren't looking perfect. But once I was able to figure out, aha, it is this idea of it has to be perfect. I was like, okay, but it's not perfect. I didn't do it perfectly. It's not going to be perfect. I'm going to be okay with that. And the minute I kind of realized, oh, I'm just, it isn't perfect. I'm okay with that. It was a huge, everything kind of relaxed and my monger kind of went quiet. It wasn't rationalizing or trying to reason with my monger that calmed her down. Just like if she was a little kid who got upset about a big scary monster under the bed, telling her the monster isn't real, dummy, isn't going to make her feel any less afraid. In fact, it'd probably make her more upset. So I say, ah, I don't care that the cornbread isn't perfect because it doesn't have to be perfect because we're just going to crumble it in the chili. But in reality, it is, you're right, the cornbread isn't perfect and that does drive me crazy, but it's not. So we got to move on. I looked at her fear and accepted it. I'm afraid I'm not perfect. Well, turns out I'm not. Once I let myself be okay with that little fact, the monger quieted down. 
And just being able to address the issue right where it was, instead of doing all this justification and rationalization, it immediately quiets her. Cornbread is such a small example, but because it's kind of ridiculous, I think it's a good way to show how the monger can show up in the silliest places where you least expect her and wreak havoc on your feelings of self-worth. It's hard giving myself a break like that. Even taking the time to sit with myself and really understand why my monger is being so loud. It's a constant process, and I'm getting better at it. The more I practice, the more I have faith that there will be less stressful batches of cornbread in my baking future. Pillowy muffins be damned. But now, at least, I know that even if my cornbread muffins crumble, instead of pushing my monger away by rationalizing my disappointment, I can acknowledge my monger's fears and let her know that sometimes it's okay if things aren't totally perfect. I'm human. I make crumbly cornbread. And that is okay. That's it for this week's episode. Next time, we're going to focus on another familiar frenemy of the happier approach, the voice that's always trying to save me from my monger, but butting in with a little too much leniency. My let's procrastinate all day because you deserve it, have that third glass of wine, hit the snooze button for the fifth time this morning, conspirator in all things self-indulgent, my BFF. That's next time on The Happier Approach. The Happier Approach is produced by Nikki Stein and me, Nancy Jane Smith. Music provided by Pond5 and Epidemic Sound. For more episodes, to get in touch, or to order a copy of my book, The Happier Approach, you can visit www.live-happier.com. And if you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. It actually helps us out a lot. Special thanks to Katie Morton for speaking with us for this episode. She has a new book coming out in September called Traumatized that you can pre-order now. You can subscribe to her YouTube channel to hear more of her brilliance or go to www.katiemorton.com to learn more about her work. Links are in the show notes. The Happier Approach will be back with another episode in two weeks. Take care until then.